The reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 17, and reading from verses 1 to 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, Let's pray before we um, think on these words. Heavenly Father, what a great morning it is this morning. We thank you for the the pleasure and privilege it is to be together. We thank you for uh, Shirley Intermediate and the opportunity we have to use their premises. Uh, We thank you for Lucy and being able to be part of celebrating her baptism with uh, Ollie and Grace and the wider Preston and McClellan families. And uh, we thank you for the privilege we have now of sitting under your word. Lord, please uh, speak to us as we come face to face with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the truth of who he is and what he's done might shake us. Shake us out of complacency. Make us see him more clearly. Make us love him more deeply. And make us follow him more closely. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is very good to be with you this morning, and we're back in Matthew's Gospel, like Jesse said. Uh, It's been a while. If you haven't been with us at St. Stephen's over the last few weeks, you won't know. We did a a series in the book of Esther. We were in Matthew's Gospel for quite a while, then we stopped and had a series in Esther. That got interrupted a little bit with the lockdown. Then once it finished, we had a, a couple of topical services, where one we looked at doubt, and then the other one we looked at miserable comforters. And, uh, but today we're back in Matthew's Gospel. It's been a while, but this is a great passage to jump back into Matthew's Gospel because straight away, I hope you pick this up as Mark was reading it to us, we see in Matthew's Gospel from this particular reading, when you're looking at Jesus, you're not just seeing a great man. You're not just seeing another important figure in the history of the world. We're seeing someone unlike anyone else. There is no one like this. And we're seeing a glimpse of that this morning. 
When I was about 19, I played in a, a mixed indoor cricket team for a few years. Uh, mixed meaning four guys, four girls, and uh, indoor cricket, so it's inside, you've got nets for courts and all that kind of thing. We played together for a few years, and um, one week, one of our girls couldn't make, make it. And um, one of the other girls on the team got her best friend to fill in for her. And as a result of that action, two things took place. First, the fill-in arrived, and she brought with her her boyfriend or fiancé, I think he might have been the fiancé at that point, who turned out to be Chris Harris. If you don't know Chris Harris, shame on you, Chris Harris was playing cricket for New Zealand at this particular time. Second thing that happened was one of our guys didn't turn up either. (laughs) Just luck of the draw. Chris, what are you doing? So he played for us. We were fielding first, uh, which means in indoor cricket you're, you're doing the first half fielding. And I've got to say, Chris Harris was okay. <laughs> he was all right. It made me convinced that I'd been right the whole time. The only difference between Chris Harris and I was that the right selectors had seen him at the right time because it was clear to anyone watching that there wasn't that much between us. But then... The only thing that definitely was happening was, out of all the courts in the uh, indoor cricket centre, all eyes were on our game, because everyone was going, Chris Harris is playing there. Anyway, he, wasn't, he was okay. He was fine. But that was all. Then he dropped an absolute sitter. So the batter, and this is not me dramatising, the batter just spooned it up. It was travelling about this speed, kind of coming here. This is a catch I could have made like that, and I'm not a sportsman, and he dropped it. And you could hear the kind of scoffing, kind of like that kind of thing. Very next ball, the batter whacked it. He'd obviously learned his lesson. He wasn't going to spoon another one, even though he'd got away with it. He whacked the ball right down into the ground, and it was travelling at a huge pace, bounced right up into the nets. And Chris Harris had to turn round. He sprinted backwards jumped up, caught it in one hand. While he was up in in the air, he spun round, threw the ball at such velocity that it knocked the middle wicket out of the stumps. You can't knock middle wickets in indoor cricket out of the... It's not in the ground. They're all joined together. He knocked it out. And everyone went, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) He can play. Suddenly, we got a glimpse of the glory of one of the best fielders in world cricket at that moment. Apparently the glory of playing alongside me at Matapo Sports Centre hadn't been enough to help him rise to the occasion and we only got it for a a glimpse for one moment. That's kind of what happens here with Jesus in the incident that most people call the transfiguration. For one brief moment, I mean Jesus looks good most of the time, but for one brief moment, for one kind of glorious instant, you catch a, a glimpse of the true glory of Jesus at the transfiguration. It's as if the curtain of heaven is pulled back just for a second and we see the dazzling reality of who he really is. We see the wonderful glory of who this man truly is. Just before the curtain closes again and then we're back with Jesus, the incredible Jesus, for the rest of the gospel. And the reason, one of the reasons you can tell how wonderful it was is the impact it had on the disciples. Many years later, Peter, who's one of the three disciples with Jesus at this moment of the transfiguration, he was writing to Christians. We've got two of his letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And Peter, when he was writing to the church in in his second letter, when he was wanting to tell them about the glory of Jesus that he himself had been an eyewitness of, he spoke of this moment. This was the moment that stood out in Peter's head and heart. Uh, It wasn't Jesus walking on the water and him jumping out of the boat and doing it with him. 
It wasn't Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't any of those other miracles. It was the transfiguration that told, that stuck with Peter as a glimpse of the true glory of Jesus. This is what he writes in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to remember these words because we'll come back to them. <clears throat> Peter writes, We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then the example, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So for Peter, this was the moment that he got a glimpse of Jesus' glory. And I hope for you and I, as we get back into Matthew's gospel, we'll get a sense of that, that glory of Jesus this morning. So I'm going to take us through the passage here, through the incident. I'm going to do it in three ways, and then I've got two things for us to think about and hold on to from it. Uh, I'm going to get us to, to go through the passage by thinking about it from the point of view of the disciples, because although this is about Jesus, it's clearly the disciples and their experience and reactions that is the heart of the passage. It's the driver of the passage. So we're going to look at what the disciples saw in verses 1 to 4, we're going to think about what the disciples heard in verses 5 to 8, and then we're going to look at what the disciples asked in verses 9 to 13. Then we'll have the two lessons to take away from it. So firstly, verses 1 to 4, what they saw. We're told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, just these three disciples, up a high mountain. And while they're up there, this change, this, this transfiguration happens. Jesus changes his face, we're told, shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And when we read this, it's clear for the reader we're supposed to get the sense this is Jesus' true form. This is who he is, his true glory. It's not like Moses. If you know the Old Testament, many hundreds of years earlier, Moses had lived and Moses had met with God and so closely encountered God that he, his face shone when he went back to the Israelites. But that was a reflected glory. This is not that. This is just Jesus in and of himself, face like the sun, clothes dazzling white. Well, wouldn't you know it? The next thing that happens is Moses arrives. Moses has been dead for many, many years. And Elijah arrived. These two incredible figures from the Old Testament turn up to be with Jesus, and they're talking. And you can kind of think, well, why, why Moses and Elijah? Why not, say, Abraham, who was the first of the Israelites, or King David, who was the, the special king of God? I think because Moses and Elijah, more than any other figures in the Old Testament, sum up the whole Old Testament. Israelites used to break up the Old Testament into the law and the prophets, Law, Moses, prophets, Elijah. We know Moses was a prophet, but not one of the reforming prophets. Elijah was the first of the reforming prophets. They were the two voices that were most heard in the Old Testament. So you've got these two of them who, who summarize in many ways the whole Old Testament, the, old, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah with Jesus. So imagine seeing this. Imagine if you're Peter, James, and John, and you see Jesus and his true glory, and you see Moses appear and Elijah appear and them talking. What would you do? Well, we know what Peter did. Peter, verse 4, he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. If you felt like laughing then, it's okay to laugh because in Luke's account of this incident, in Luke's gospel, Luke explicitly tells us what Matthew doesn't hear. 
he tells us that Peter said this because Peter didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. You know how some people have this overwhelming urge to fill awkward silences? That's Peter. That's what he does here. But you can see what he's trying to do, right? He's saying this is incredible. This moment, let's capture this moment. This is unbelievable. Let's, Let's mark it somehow. Today he might have brought out a selfie stick and kind of taken a picture of... No, he probably wouldn't have done that. But that's what he's trying to do. So that's what the disciples saw. Verses 1 to 4, they saw this incredible scene, Jesus changing form into his true glory and him meeting with two of the Old Testament greats, Moses, who's been dead for over 1,400 years, and Elijah, who's been dead for over 900 years. What a thing to see. What a thing to witness. So that's what they saw. Next, what they heard. Verses 5 to 8. As soon as Peter says, I'll build these shelters to remember this, a bright cloud, we're told, enveloped them and a voice comes from heaven saying the key words of this whole incident. And I wish I could ask Mark to come back up. His voice is very good in this part, much better than mine. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now we're going to come back to the significance of these words. But I want you to notice, what these disciples heard was even more powerful for them than what they'd seen. Have a look at the response once they'd heard these words. Now they fall face down terrified. The voice of God has been heard from the heavens. I don't know if you know how many times God's voice is audible in the Gospels. It's only three times. Once at the baptism of Jesus, once at the transfiguration of Jesus, and once in the last week of Jesus' lifetime in John chapter 12 before he goes to his death. So when God speaks, it's very important. Only three times in all the Gospels. Here it happens and we see the response. The disciples fall face down and they're terrified. I also want you to remember the words that Peter wrote many years later when he wrote wrote the letter of 2 Peter that I read out before. What was the key thing he remembered? It wasn't what he saw, it's what he heard. He described the words that came from heaven, from God, about describing what was happening in Jesus. Very important what the disciples heard, and we'll come back to it in a moment. In a lovely way, we're then told that Jesus came over to them and uh, touched them. I love, I love that, told them not to, be af- not to be afraid. I love that about Christianity. Christianity is never a faith of distance. It's a faith of closeness, of intimacy. And Jesus goes to his disciples who are terrified, touches them and says, don't be afraid. They look up. Moses and Elijah have gone. It's just Jesus. We presume it's Jesus back to his normal form. That's what they heard. So we've seen what they they saw. We've seen what they heard. Now, last part, what they asked, verse 9 to 13. As they're going back down the mountain, the four of them together, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until after the resurrection. Now, that can seem strange at first, but we've seen this a lot in the Gospels when Jesus does something miraculous and says, don't tell other people. And we know why. It was because the Jews had in mind that when the great rescuer came, the Christ, the Messiah, what he would do, they had a different agenda for what he was going to do. They thought he was going to come and rescue them from the Romans and rule them physically. He had a different agenda. He was going to come and die on the cross, save everyone eternally, spiritually, and rule them not just physically but eternally and and spiritually. And that misunderstanding would cause problems, like it did after the feeding of the 5,000 when they tried to force him to be their king. So he keeps saying to them, don't tell anyone till after the resurrection. Then they'll know, because the cross will have happened, the resurrection will happen, and they'll understand. 
Well, the disciples then asked Jesus, why the teachers of the law say Elijah will come first. They're referring to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and in the last book of the Old Testament, in the last chapter, the last few verses of the Old Testament, there was a promise that Elijah would come before the great day of the Lord, before the Messiah came. And I think the question the disciples are saying is, it says that Elijah's going to come first, but we've just seen him now, and he didn't come before you. So what's going on? I thought he was supposed to come first. Uh, and Jesus explains to them, John the Baptist is Elijah. John the Baptist performed the function of Elijah, making way, preparing the way for the Lord. Then he points out that John the Baptist suffered just like he, Jesus himself, did. And that's going to be important in a moment. So we've seen what the disciples saw. We see, we've seen what they heard. We've seen what they asked. That's the passage. Before I wrap up, two points for us to consider and hold on to from this uh, great, uh, great little incident. The first is this. Please be encouraged by this glimpse of Jesus' glory. Don't skip over it. Don't just read through it. Stop. Think about it. Be encouraged by this glimpse of Jesus' glory. I said at the beginning that this is a good passage to jump into in Matthew's Gospel because we're straight away, front and centre, back looking at Jesus and who he is. But in another sense it's not because I reckon most of us have probably forgotten where we got to in Matthew's Gospel. We've forgotten the verses that came just before ours and they're very important in understanding the significance of the transfiguration. You'll probably remember it when I tell you about it. In it, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter gave that great answer and said, you're the Christ. It's a great moment. Then Jesus said what he was going to do as the Christ. He said to them, look, I have to be betrayed. I have to suffer. I have to die on the cross and then I'll rise after three days. And Peter said, absolutely not, Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You don't die. You're the one who's going to reign and rule. And Jesus said those very harsh words. Do you remember? Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was mucking this up, and you can't muck this up. Then Jesus had gone on to say, it's not just me who will suffer, all who follow me will suffer. He said those famous words, all followers must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, my followers are going to suffer. And at that point you might go, well, this is not good news, Jesus. We were, we were kind of hoping for a, a bit better news. But then comes this glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And it's a reminder for all Jesus' followers that after suffering comes glory, that suffering is not the last word. This little glimpse reminds us that in the midst of suffering, it's not the last word. After struggle comes relief. After burden comes blessings. This life is difficult, but all Christians know this life is not all there is. The curtains can be pulled and we see the true glory of Jesus. We know that this life is not all there is. We know that there's something behind it, and we know what lies behind it. And this glimpse of glory is to encourage us when we find things most hard. It's a reminder of the glory that awaits you and I and that is to come. This incident would have bucked Peter up no end. He saw from this incident that death wasn't the end because he saw Moses and Elijah, who'd been dead for so many years. He, this incident would have showed him that when Jesus was going to get uh, arrested, it can't have happened because they were cleverer than he was or because Jesus made a mistake, because this incident, he'd seen the true glory of Jesus. 
and he knew more. That's what lies ahead for me. The same as Moses, the same as Elijah. And he would have held on to that. Peter did that. That's why he wrote about this incident in 2 Peter. Because on the long nights that he experienced, on the dark days that he encountered, through the trials and the scraps that he went through, he remembered what he'd seen and what he'd heard, and it provided comfort, strength, and energy. Behind everything that you and I go through is the glory of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of what lies beyond. This COVID world, with all its uncertainty and doubts, is not the last word. Your declining health is not the end. The mistakes and failures that you and I make are not what defines our future. The glory of Jesus is. The glory of Jesus is. And you and I are to keep that in mind and be encouraged by that as we live life. So be encouraged by this glimpse of Jesus' glory. Secondly, lastly, listen to him. Listen to him. In 2005, Chris Rock, the uh, comedian, was hosting the Academy Awards, and, and as part of his opening monologue, he talked about, he said, I like being in Hollywood. He said, but there is a difference between real stars and just other actors. He said, some of you here tonight, you're real stars, but a lot of you are just actors. And he looked at Clint Eastwood and he goes, Clint Eastwood's a real star. He said, but sometimes movie producers want Tom Cruise, but all they can get is Jude Law. Kind of harsh on Jude Law. But then he was self-deprecating himself. He said, and there are other times that movies want Denzel Washington, but all they can afford is Chris Rock. And what he was saying was that there are different levels in all areas of life. There are kind of, we think we're good. We think we're uh, pretty good. We think we're pretty good at indoor cricket. And then suddenly Chris Harris does something like that. And it's a little reminder why, why I'm playing in Matapo Indoor Sports Centre, not at Lord's Cricket Ground. And there are levels like that of, in all areas of life. This incident showed that there was a huge difference between Jesus and everyone else. It's a huge lesson in the transfiguration. Remember, Peter said, I know what I'll do as soon as he saw the three of them there. I'll build a shelter for each of you. And God stopped him and God said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You have to read between the lines very much there to work out what God's saying. Peter, you don't build a shelter for all three of these because one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is very different. There are levels to this, and Jesus is on a different level. And that's an incredible statement to make. You have these two Old Testament greats, probably the two most significant voices in the Old Testament, the voices that most people listen to in the Old Testament. And God doesn't even mention them. He says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Because in Jesus, this was not just another messenger from the Lord. Here was not just another prophet, not just another great servant of God. This was the Messiah. This was the Son of Man. This was God's Son whom he loved and in whom he was well pleased. This was the King. This was the one in, in, in whom all God's plans and purposes center on. And God says, listen to him. Listen to him. You and I live in a world with competing voices. Listen to his voice above all others. You and I live in a world with competing agendas. Listen to his agenda and follow it first and foremost. You and I listen and live in a world with competing standards. People aren't sure what to do or what not to do. Listen to him and follow his. 
Who do you listen to? This is not rhetorical, although I don't want you shouting out lots of different things. I want you to answer this question for yourself. Who do you listen to? Not who do you hear, who do you listen to? Because the reality is, you and I hear many, 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 many voices. I think um, the voices we hear today has increased in the last few years to be almost kind of discouraging and overwhelming. There's that many sheer number of voices. Not who do you hear, who do you listen to? Today you and I hear tweets. We read and hear emails and blogs. We hear the voices of newspaper articles and the opinions on social media. We hear podcasts and uh, we watch 1 o'clock p.m. press conferences and hear from the government. We hear our own feelings and opinions. We hear the opinions of others all around. We hear all of it. Who do you listen to? Who do you trust and have confidence in? Listening in the scriptures is never just hearing, it's trusting, putting into practice, following. Who do you listen to? At the moment, it's very hard to know who you can trust. Think of almost any topic in the world at the moment. You've got all these competing voices. How should we view the COVID situation and what we should do? All these opinions. What's good health in food? I don't even want to open that door. Everyone's got different thoughts and wisdom. What's life all about? What happens after death? You've got all these different thoughts and opinions. Who, who do you listen to? Well, this is God's recommendation. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. More than yourself, more than the experts, more than Moses, more than anyone. Listen to him. Great morning this morning. Ollie and Grace having Lucy baptised today. And Ollie and Grace have got a big responsibility raising Lucy. Got a lot of things to think about and decide upon. They've got to think about her education. They've got to think about her health. They've got to think about her well-being. But basically the promises this morning that they were making was saying what we want for Lucy more than anything else is that she'll listen to Jesus. Will we? So that's our passage getting us back into Matthew's Gospel. We've arrived with a bang, haven't we? The transfiguration, it's one of the most defining moments in Jesus' earthly ministry. And as we think on it, I pray that we will be encouraged because we've seen a glimpse of Jesus' glory. We've remembered that this earth is not all that there is. There's something else, and it's the glory of Jesus. And we've been challenged to listen to him. And I pray that we will. Let me pray now. Father, we thank you for this wonderful occasion in the life and ministry of Jesus, for the impact it clearly had on Peter and the other disciples for the impact it can have on us. And I pray that we would live in the light of it. Lord, sometimes we minimise Jesus. We just think he's one of many. The wonder of the transfiguration is we see his glory like no other. And it's that that gives us confidence and joy. And Father, when we see his glory, we can only listen to him above and beyond any other voice in our lives. Father, I pray that each one of us here this morning may more and more listen to him, follow him faithfully and have and share an eternal life because of that blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.